Welcome and thanks for listening to the Spirit of Time podcast. It's a spirited discussion of watch topics and some of the cool bon vivant stuff that overlaps our hobby, especially fine spirits, craft beer, cocktails, and wine. In other words, if it's boozy, smoky, sudsy, or smooth, we'll probably talk about it. Think of it as a watch-focused happy hour for your commute. We are your hosts. I am Matt. I'm Greg. Thanks for listening and enjoy the episode. Oh, listen to that. I can hear that pouring from here. How are you, Greg? It's good to see you. Well, I'm doing excellent now that I just poured a, a nice tall pint. Uh, I'll get into what it is when we do a wrist check, pour check. I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I feel like we haven't done this setup in, in a minute. Um, we've been fortunate enough to either be together on a few occasions recently or uh, done a few other kind of uh, uh, sort of off the cuff recordings with some other friends. And so this is fun. It's fun to sort of uh, get back into the into this saddle. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think you teased a little something that we may talk about here shortly, but why don't we, uh, before we do that, let's do a little bit of a wrist check, pour check. Um, and why don't you tell us what you just poured? I poured uh, Overtown Brewing Company, which on our last episode, I believe we teased uh, some some of what's to come. Um, this is the Hop Springs IPA. I think both you and I were able to stop in and see our friends over the Memorial Weekend. Um uh, when we debrief sort of what we've been up to, I'll, I'll let you know how I got over there, but I was able to stop in, see, uh, see what's been going on over there and, uh, grab a flight and of course take some things home. So this is, this is one of the two IPAs that I had a choice between. This one is 6.3%. Um, there was another one, I believe it was called, oh man, what was it called? Uh, hop, hop, hop full of mess or something. It was like literally like 10 different, um, hop varietals in the uh in the ipa and it was a little bigger i want to say it was maybe six and a half or seven percent but um carlos really liked this one um in comparison and so i grabbed it um and uh and it's it's really nice it's 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 a you know a pretty a pretty hop forward i don't know what the ibus on it it's got some it's got some nice bitterness to it but not over it's not a you know kind of a, a face quencher um, it's got that sort of citrus profile. And this is, this is classic. I mean, this is Overtown, you know, doing what they do and doing it well. So, um, in the glass, it's fantastic on the wrist, uh, Omega Railmaster 2503. Um, and it is on a Horace straps rubber, rubber guy here, which is on loan from you. I have been curious, right? We talked about rubber straps, obviously picked, you know, right. a few things up not too long ago for, in particular for the, the Balsol Ocean Moon, have had Barton Silicone Elite and was really curious about Horace because I see them all over the place. Um, you know, you have sort of the laser cut, you know, uh, profile. So you're getting a, a different, you know, a different look and feel than sort of the the straight edge cut. And I was just curious what it might look like, A, on the Railmaster, but also just what the horse straps were all about, you know, having seen them all over the place and, and I, I think they're at a price point where you don't just, you know, kind of grab one willy nilly, perhaps you're sort of curious what they're all about. This is really cool, man. Um, the, this now remind me if I, uh, you bought this one, this is, this is cut for a ro This is on the Rolex side, right? This is what one of their Rolex, uh, additions. 
I mean, I think, yeah, it, it, I don't remember seeing anything, you know, to indicate specifically like in the packaging or what have you, that it was specific to Rolex, but that's what I got it for. I mean, I, I got it for a 16,570 and I, I've put it on that and worn it on that, but I've used that strap. And again, that's that sort of that blue, um, sort of like a, a naval, I guess, naval influence camouflage however you want to put it. It's like blue, light blue, black, um, you know, camouflage motif. And I've had that on the Rolex and it was good. I've had that on, um, my, uh, on my Speedmaster, And I've also had that, believe it or not on the blue Alpinist. That's right. That's a good one. And That's a good it, combo. That, that, that it was a little bit, there was a little bit of a gap, but I mean, it, it worked. You know, so I don't know. It's a, it's a cool strap. It's an unusual colorway. So it's cool. it is. And I think, uh, so if you go on their site now, like they, they classify things, you know, by Rolex, by Omega, uh, and then maybe like maybe Panerai and then like other. And so I'm assuming that they laser cut them, you know, to some specification, but like you said, there is some interplay between these. And so this is on obviously an Omega, I'd say, you know, the bottom, the, the six o'clock side of the strap, the long side is a hundred percent fit. I mean, it is, it's a beautiful fit. It is perfectly in inside the lugs and, and hugging and hugging the case. The top side is, is perfect on the shape, but there is a gap, like you mentioned, like, like there was on the Alpinist. And so, um, you know, to the naked eye, I don't think it's really noticeable. Uh, you know, but if you're staring at it all day, you kind of sort of notice these things overall, it's a great fit. Um, it's a really neat look for what is sort of a, you know, in some ways demure watch, um, kind of spices it up. And, and really, honestly, what it really got me doing is thinking about rubber in general. It's got me doing some late night eBay searches for Aquaterra straps. Um, you know, those rubber guys, uh, to see, which I imagine would probably fit on this case as well, considering it's an Aquaterra case, but, uh, just a way to sort of save the bracelet, uh, give a new kind of fun summer look. And, and this, this, this definitely checked the boxes. So thanks for, thanks for letting me borrow it for a little while. Yeah, absolutely. If you ever, um, make good on your threat in the three for 10 grand episode from two or three episodes back and you get that, you know, steel and gold Seamaster, you can put that watch on a, uh, a black OEM rubber strap from Omega. Those are amazing. So I've been, so I, good yeah, on those yeah, watches. I've been, yeah. uh, I've been uh, spending way too much time on eBay looking at all the Omega OEMs. Um, we don't do fast form finds. Those are our friends, you know, on the whiskey and watches podcast, but as, as, as usual for my kind of couple times per week, watch recon, uh, you know, <laughs> self-flagellation. I, I did come across a, a two-tone, um, Seamaster 300 today and it wasn't Sedna, it was yellow, but it was, it was fantastic. It was on the bracelet. I yeah. Yeah. Looked at it for much too long. Yeah, no. Well, I'm, it's not like I went to Feldmar and eyeballed those again today. Save that for sort of our, what we've been up to out and about and around town, which I think this episode is going to be sort of about. Cause I saw yeah, this just kind of a catch up pictures. Yeah. Yeah. What's on yep. your wrist and, and what are you drinking, man? So, uh, on the wrist is, I don't know if you can see this well, but I, I probably don't wear this enough. This honestly was kind of an impulse thing about a year ago. I was just so excited when this range of watches came out. This is the um, Seiko Presage Sharp Edge GMT. And this is the copper brown dial. The um, It's not an, a limited edition. It's a special edition. So it's like a boutique special. Um, I think they're just going to, it's going to be a low rate production thing, but it's you know, I just think it's an important thing because it is a, a very reasonable 
you know, quote unquote, true flyer GMT mechanical movement watch, um, you know, for way under two grand. And so I, I find that I maybe probably should have gone with the black, you know, it's a little more wearable for me every day because the, as cool as it is, the copper bits are, it, it is, you know, shiny basically. So I've taken it off of the the bracelet and we pr- I've probably have worn this at least once on the show before and I've just put it on a um one of those sage you know kind of OD military inspired natos and it, that absolutely should not work but it totally does so it looks it looks really cool it dresses the thing down and that is what is on the wrist where is that um where's that nato from do you remember you know what I don't I've over the it's years I've I've sourced natos from a lot of places um you know Terry at uh, Toxic. Now I think it's Ute or Utah um, is where I got a lot of stuff. But I mean, I've also had, um, oh, come on, like a Crown and Buckle. And they're, they're, yeah, they're good ones. The yeah. Chevron ones are fantastic. Yep, yep. And then I've, I've sure some really purchased some too. Um, yeah, from Natalie. Yeah, yeah, of course. You know, I think, uh, you know, in all honesty, I think the Grey oh. Nito is, is quite clearly, you know, uh, um, you know, sort of spoken for. Wouldn't mind kind of making the green NATO a thing um, over here. I think it's a, an awesome look and you've, you've put it on a, a number of things that I really like. Yeah, it's it's that's my go to color for sure. And then since he strap go, um, oh, those I've never guys had those before. Yeah, of course, we hear about them all the time, you know, from our friends, but I've never I've never actually seen them in the in, in person. Yeah, no, they're they're good quality. So anyway, that's what I've got. And then in terms of what I'm drinking, I mean, this is, this cannot get any more like lowbrow. It's, this is literally the, you know, the Topo Chico, the hard seltzer. This is not something I've ever tried, but I've seen it at your house. So I was like, yeah. okay, let me, let me get one of these. And I would describe it like this in terms of how true to, true to flavor it is. It's, I've got the yellow one. How about that? I've, you know, and I, yeah, there, you can't see this folks, but Greg and is fishing around and found a uh, a box for a case of of these hard seltzers, and I basically just boogered this up with like a dash of the uh, the Angostura orange, a lot of ice, and oh. uh, a healthy squeeze of lemon. Nice, and that's pretty interesting. Yeah, it's um, it's just you know, it's we have warm weather, and I just wanted something to basically to sip on and and wet my whistle. So it's you know very low ABV, and it's it's easy. I think those are great. I think you could go way lower brow and not to hate on anybody's particular seltzer uh, <laughs> preference. Some people think seltzers are low brow in general. Uh, I think they're fine. I think they, they're, they're, you know, like you said, you're on a hot day or especially by the pool. I, I can't imagine, you know, a better thing to crush, um, you know, white claws and, and some of these other ones that are along around for a long time. I like the topos. I think they're really fantastic. Look out for the margarita ones. They're margarita seltzers. They're they're even more flavorful. Um, but I like those because they're they're sort of toned down. They're not really heavy on the flavor. But that's interesting that you used it and sort of doctored it into a cocktail. I might do the same. Yeah, vaguely, right? So anyhow, so that's that's wrist check, poor check for us. I let's dude, let's just dive right into it, man, and debrief. Do you want to lead off with what we did on Friday of the week before last? Yeah. Wow. We've been busy. Um, we were joking, you know, how many hall passes were we able to, to sort of conjure up, um, you know, not only from like, you know, family and, 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 and sort of work complications, but running around town, running around all over Los Angeles, quite frankly, or in Southern California, really to be, uh, you know, to foreshadow a little bit. So a couple weeks ago, 
you had gotten wind of an event that was going to be uh, in the arts district, sort of uh, uh, east of, of downtown Los Angeles. And you forwarded it to me and you said, hey, what do you think? And I was actually set to have a, a number of, of, of family in town, but it seemed really interesting. And I was like, hey, let's kind of mark it down, see if, if we can maybe make it happen. Long story short, it was a, a Bremont event. Um, and if I understood what they were doing correctly, they were actually opening. Now, I don't know if I should classify this as a pop-up or like a, a, a semi-permanent or even a permanent installation, but they're setting up shop uh, within this huge, really interesting space, which is called Bike Shed Moto Company. There apparently is one also in the UK. So maybe there's a tie in there. Um, I you think there is. Yeah. Yeah. There's got to be. You and I didn't know much about this space, even though it's been, it, it's newish. I think as we got there and we talked to the staff and some people, I don't think it's been there for, for a, a tremendously long time. Um, but we're really kind of not only, of course, the Vermont angle, but we're just like, wow, this is really interesting. And this could be just kind of a fun thing to check out. And so we did it. We, we made it over there. It was a Friday night. Um, you and I both made a comment that, you know, a five to eight o'clock window was actually kind of a sweet spot for some people. You know, we don't want to be out all, all hours of the evening and especially if we have kids or, or other obligations. And so um, it was really neat. You know, we had Nick and Giles from Vermont were there. Um, uh, it was intimate. I don't know. Maybe I'm guessing maybe there was 50 or 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 less people. And I'm saying maybe in total, you know, as people were maybe coming and going, I, I don't know that it ever was exactly at 50. I, I'm kind of guessing on that a little bit, um, but it was intimate. And But there were some really interesting, cool people, some of which we were familiar with and we knew maybe as acquaintances or, or that we knew, you know, more, more, you know, we're more familiar with. Uh, but they set up this installation in this bike shed moto company, which is this huge sprawling, I don't even know, tens of thousands of square feet industrial building in the arts district, which is full of these industrial buildings and it's a, it's a motorcycle club. And at first you might think, Oh, okay, well you have to be a member, which there is memberships that they offered, but it's open too. And so there's a bar, there's a tattoo parlor, there's a barber shop, there's kind of showcase places. There's a store, um, different event spaces, a restaurant. If and so there's this huge, massive, monstrous, interesting place with cool decor bikes everywhere, Super interesting people, a beautiful bar, and Vermont has set up station in this one area, and they welcomed LA, you know, LA people to not only come meet with Giles and Nick and, and other people who are with the brand uh, to see the new pieces, particularly uh, the Jaguar pieces and some of the other things that they had on display, and and to share some drinks together. And I, I do, I don't know. You and me both said afterwards, and even in the middle of it, that was one of the funnest watch events but just one of the funnest events we've been to in in a minute yeah that you know that i would absolutely agree um i would say it was probably less than 50 people it was hard to keep track again you know for people who haven't been there which is probably most of you obviously um you can imagine this this space is kind of occupied by maybe three distinct wings one is a you know literally like motorcycle sales and service um the other is uh basically like an entertainment, you know, module kind of in the middle. I mean, just in, you know, there's a, a full, a restaurant, a full bar. Um, it, uh, it reminded me a little bit. I don't know if this is a, yeah, no, a yard house is nationwide. It, it reminded me of a yard house kind of a vibe, a lot of, uh, a lot of beers and cocktails, um, a lot of tequila options. I had that Mezcal Negroni. That was great. Um, 
And then the other third of it was, you know, retail and lifestyle stuff for people in the moto culture. And that's not really us. And, you know, lest anybody get the idea, I mean, this is not all like Harley Davidson motorcycle gang, you know, Hells Angels kind of stuff. I would say it was probably, although some of that was there, but I mean, it, it was definitely more um, like cafe racer. Yeah, there that, was that uh, kind of thing. Yeah, there was what some maybe some scouts and some, you know, triumphs and and some Ducatis, right? Like there was it was yeah. a different scene than yeah, than maybe what you would think immediately. Yeah, exactly. Like if you were going to go there and buy, you know, a Ducati, you, you're probably, you know, not getting like a I don't know whatever the the new hotness is. I stopped paying attention to motorcycles a long time ago, but like instead of a 996, you're getting like a a Monstro 750 or a 900 there. Um but yeah, super cool. And like you say, Vermont's kind of set up shop in there. And this was to, you know, I think draw attention to that. And also, you know, they had a couple of specific watches. Um, it was a new Jaguar watch and uh, just cool stuff, but it was nice. Both of the brothers were there. And I mean, of the, you know, 10 or 12 people that we mingled with, I think like the the cool ratio was pretty high. I felt like we were the only people there who were not like internet famous, right? We you know, uh, Matt Farah, smoking tire, um, formerly of his own watch podcast, right. With Cameron, uh, he was there, Johnny Lieberman, um, who's been, you know, getting, I think some heat on Hodinky heat in a good way, not, not bad heat. Um, but you know, I think most people know him as, um, you know, a, a car journalist and, you know, somebody who's in that space, um, a guy that I, I was really happy. I probably came away like more stoked to have made this dude's acquaintance, but Misha Mansoor from a, uh, kind of an alt, uh, not a, what would you call it? Like a, uh, maybe a, a metal, band, metal think, right? yeah, prog yeah. metal band called periphery, which he said not but to I, ever listen to. He told me three, three to five times. Don't ever listen to my music. <laughs> well, I found, I found his, um, his side project and you know, uh, it's, it's something called bulb literally, literally like light bulb B U L B. Um, I thought it was actually some pretty great music, man. I, I spent, uh, you know, it's been in and out of the rotation over the past two weeks. I like it. It's, you know, kind of like, um, maybe an updated version of like a Jeff Beck, Joe Satriani kind of thing. So that was fun. Um, and yeah, the, the event was great. I'm really anxious to go back there. And I think we both got free hats out of it, which was cool. We did. We did. The drinks were great. As I was on my way, I think you told me you had a Mezcal Negroni in hand, so I walked in and immediately ordered one of those. And then I ordered a mezcal mojito. What do they call it? A mezcal hito. So um, the drinks were really nice. Um, the people were great. Giles and Nick were awesome. Uh, it was nice to spend a lot of time with sort of the the new pieces. I don't think we saw a lot of the core stuff that was behind some of the display cases. I'm sure if we had asked, they would have pulled whatever out. But yeah, you're just so busy mingling and and sort of you know spending time with with the people. Uh, and like you said, we can go back you know essentially at any any point in time. Um, yeah, just a really fun night. They were so hospitable. Um, and, uh, we're just going to put it out there for sort of record sake. You know, they, they, everybody seemed to be open to, to join us on the pod at some point. And so, uh, hopefully we can make that happen because it would be nice to sort of dig, you know, further into what they've been up to. And, and of course, uh, you know, we've been fans of theirs and, and sort of the work that they're doing. So, um, big shout out to Bremont for, uh, awesome hospitality, great time, great drinks, good people. Yeah, totally. Well, and then, you know, that for us, I think they were there primarily like in their motorsport overlap capacity. I don't know if that's the right word for it, but you know, the thing that brings me to them is, is the aviation side of things. And, um, 
the hall pass that I got this past Friday is also aviation related. It was kind of, you know, slightly Bremont right on Friday. And then I did this on Friday. So, you know, there, there's that hashtag Flieger Friday, right? Yeah. Out of the blue on Thursday of last week, I got an email from Vincent at the fighter pilot podcast. And guys, if you, if you're not following the fighter pilot podcast and, and listening to that, if you're even remotely interested in aviation topics, you need to be listening to Vincent's show. It's, it's the best, but Vincent also, you know, behind the scenes kind of helped us get started, you know, in terms of, you know, providing recommendations on equipment and which platforms to use and how to do things and, you know, pitfalls to avoid and stuff like that. So I've, I've always been, you know, very uh, mindful of the fact that he's a, a good community guy and the show is great. So I get this email from Vincent saying, Hey Matt, um, sorry, it's, you know, really last minute, but if you can make the drive tomorrow, do you want to join us for a, a very small kind of private screening of Top Gun? It's, it's premiering officially tomorrow. And we've got a, uh, a private theater reserved at Liberty station and Liberty station is an old kind of historic, um, I don't know what you'd call it. I mean, it, it essentially, it used to be a, a naval installation in San Diego. It's basically immediately kind of south of the airport and right next to uh, Marine Corps Recruit Depot San Diego. So if you ever see, you know, where the Marines train down there, it's it's right there. And it's all the old kind of turn of the 20th century Spanish revival architecture and stuff. And about half of that base has been reclaimed and redeveloped, although they kept the architecture and stuff. And so now there's like, you know, art spaces down there. I think there's a school that, you know, put in a church. Well, one of the things they did is one of these like, you know, um, multi-use theater complexes. So it's, you know, the new modern theater with the massive chairs and, you know, you can order a beer and food and stuff like that, but they have a nice bar that's adjacent to it. So I get down there, not really knowing exactly what to expect. And sure enough, he's, he's hosting a group of probably 40 or 50 people and almost everybody are former bros. So the, you know, that's kind of what they call themselves. The bros are the, you know, former staff at, uh, at top gun. So this would be the Naval fighter weapon school instructors. And what they're going to do is essentially screen the movie for all of these top gun alums. And, uh, for those who don't know, uh, Vincent was, is a retired, Oh five in the U S Navy. He was an F 18 pilot and a top gun student and subsequently an instructor. Um, so he's got a lot of connections and what they did was, uh, we showed the movie, they showed the movie. And then afterwards, as soon as the lights went up and the credits stopped, they had all these director's chairs down there. And Vincent was interviewing, you know, the former, uh, commanding officer of, of top gun Naval fighter weapon school. He had a couple of guys who'd been involved in the production, actually flying the jets, you know, that you see in the background and things like that guys who had done the same thing for the original production in the eighties. So these are, you know, some of these old hands that were top gun cadre from like 1982, 83. And it was just kind of a Q and a, Hey, what did you think? What was realistic? What was not realistic? And, you know, there's some background information, a lot of really, really cool watch spotting at this event, a lot of Breitling emergencies, a lot of emergencies. Um, Saw quite a bit of Rolex, uh, some Garmin, some G-Shock, and and then of course Vince's. Uh, he's got that electric blue, you know, like circa say two thousand, um, 
Omega uh, Seamaster. So I'm not sure the exact reference. It's not a 2254, but it's that format, you know, the, the Peter Blake, but the electric blue with the steel bezel. I think it's a good time to post his story, by the way. I think he, he had mentioned that it was okay to, yeah. to share that on our, on our, on our website, you know, spiritoftime.co. And this would be a cool tie-in to not only post that, how interesting of a story that is, um, you know, from his perspective. Um, and then maybe, you know, I know you've talked about it before with Jello, but uh, maybe that's sort of a precursor also to to have a chat with him on here. But um, man, that yeah. is cool. What a what yeah. an interesting and unique experience that was. Oh yeah, absolutely. And for somebody like me, I mean, I was, you know, literally one of probably three or four people who were not sort of in that community at that level at this entire event. So I mean, on the one hand, it was a little bit of like, hey, fish out of water. But on the other hand, you know met a lot of cool people, talked to some cool people. And, you know, the first thing Vincent did when I walked up, he's like held out his arm. He's like, look, I wore this Omega. So, you know, I knew you were coming. I knew you'd like this. It's like, that's fantastic. So yeah, it was fun. Um, definitely very cool. If, if you haven't seen the movie, I'm not going to, you know, drop any spoilers, but it was a, it's an amazing like Saturday matinee romp. It is a really, really good movie. Very well done. And the, the, the cinematography and the aerial photography is far and away better than anything I've ever seen ever. And the cooperation from the Navy is, was really top notch. You can tell it shows, you know, I think if I remember the timeline, right, this is about Thursday, right. That you got this message and you're like, Oh man, probably really got to do this. Uh, but I got to rearrange, you know, work and personal and, 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 you know, that's a, you know, approximately a two hour drive, you know, right. right, Give or take. So, you know, it's no small, it's no small lift. Uh, but I kept thinking to myself immediately, you, you got to do this. I mean, this is so in your wheelhouse. This is such an unique and, and interesting and, and memorable experience. And then, uh, and then, like you said, just the sort of, um, you know, the, the, the excitement that was brewing around, you know, the release of this movie, you know, just all these things sort of came together to, to make it a really, you know, kind of fun and, and interesting and, 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 and kind of neat way for you to experience, you know, this, uh, this thing with people that, you know, with Jello is a, a friend of yours, I think, or at least some, you know, an acquaintance, a, a confidant that you, that you guys uh, spend time together. So, well, that's really, that's really incredible, man. I'm so happy that you got a chance to do that. Um, I, I saw, you know, the pictures you said the first one, I, I think, I think I said, let me know what you decide. Cause I think you were like, I'm going to try to make this happen. I was just curious. And so I think it was the next day, maybe about mid to late out mid afternoon. I'm thinking to myself, Matt said, if Matt didn't say he's going, then maybe he just couldn't swing it, you know? And I, I think I sent you a message and I said, ah, maybe it didn't come together. And, and you immediately replied with sort of this quick, you know, selfie, you know, it, it, it said, I'm driving, you know, it, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't like, uh, you know, a dangerous, you know, shot or anything. He said, I'm, I'm on my way. And, uh, and I said, wow, he's doing it. And then the next picture I saw was uh, a two-tone, GMT master. I don't know if it was 1675 or 16710. Um, and then, uh, and then I saw a picture of a pint in front of the movie screen as the screening was going on. And it was just this fun way to sort of watch you sort of, uh, you know, from afar, you know, be able to experience this. So it sounds Yeah. It was like, it's happening. Yeah. 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 No, it actually is a funny story that the guy sitting next to me was this older gentleman in the theater. And before the lights went down, I saw he was wearing that, um, steel and gold GMT master. And I said, Hey, you know, I don't, I don't know who you are or what your involvement is in the production or whatever. I just assumed he was maybe a a retired pilot. It looked like he was, you know, probably in his mid sixties, but you know, I'm, I'm kind of here in, 
in my capacity as like a watch collector and a guy who has a podcast that Vincent helped me start, he was just kind enough to let me come down to, to geek out on this. But you have a great watch. Like, that's fantastic. I just wanted to compliment you. So he takes it off and hands it to me. And I think the reference on this is a 16713. 713, got it. I think it was maybe, you know, kind of a late 90s era. And uh, he said, yeah, this was a gift from, and you know, I won't mention it, but it was an A-list celebrity, you know, from back then. He's like, yeah, I was his bodyguard. Oh, okay. Cool. <laughs> you know, and he whips out his phone. He's like, yeah, um, I was, uh, uh, you know, on the, the set, you know, the production of the first movie. And, you know, there's no way to validate this really, but he had so many pictures of his, in his phone of him with all these people like on the set of the, the production in the eighties. And he said, if you're into watches, this is interesting. There's like a, a famous watch from this movie. You know, I don't know if you, if you know about it, but he wore the black watch. I'm like, oh, of course I know about it. Yeah, that, totally. He's like, yeah, that watch was broken. It, it never worked in the whole production. And, but they liked it so much for its authenticity and it looked good on screen. And they thought it would be appropriate for his character that they, they left it in and, uh, you know, it, but it never worked. And I don't know if you've seen, but people have noticed a couple of times in, if you've seen any references to the movie watch spotting, you know, they're talking about how the watches don't sync up like different people are, or, and I'm like, I, that's, it's gotta be because of the fact that that watch was never repaired. It's supposedly, it is the same watch from the, you know, the same prop department. It's the exact same watch he wore, you know, 30 odd years ago. Yeah. That's what so I heard clearly, too. Clearly it doesn't work. But, um, anyhow, enough about that, man. Speaking of watches, uh, you know, there's a few new things like to talk about. Um, we don't want to, you know, go too in depth, but did you happen to see that new Oris Holstein? I want to say they're calling it the Holstein edition 2022. It, this just came out today. Have you had a chance to see it? Yeah, I did. Um, trying to think, uh, we got a, a, you know, a DM, it sort of uh, was the first glimpse that I had seen. And then when I had a, a free moment later in the day, I think I caught the Fratello article on it. And um, it's pretty neat. It's pretty cool. Um, you know, I've, I've sort of become uh, of the mind that uh, it's fun to have a sort of quick reaction to, to renders and, and sort of stock photography. And then, you know, if it sort of strikes a chord, either negatively or positively, really, uh, it just means I have to go see it in person at some point. But uh, anyway, my my initial kind of immediate re reaction is it, it's pretty interesting. It's pretty cool. The fact that they stayed really true to what that watch was when it came out, um, you know, 20 some odd years ago is pretty neat. Um, it was interesting in the Fratello article and, you know, uh, pardon me because I forget who wrote it. I can't remember which of the of the um, of the guys over there that wrote it, but um there was sort of this reference to that nineties watch design hadn't quite returned yet that we've been seeing a lot of kind of sixties and seventies and even a little bit of eighties being reintroduced into sort of either reissues or, um, you know, to sort of heritage pieces and the nineties hadn't gotten there. And it was interesting the way he was writing it. He was kind of getting it. He was sort of, I think hinting at one, it was still too recent, you know, cause it's not that, that long ago, even, even though it sort of is the way that trends sort of go, it takes a little bit of time for things to come back around. Um, and then two, that maybe the actual aesthetic of the nineties, wasn't maybe as desirable as, you know, some of those earlier decades, I think it's more of the first because my wife has been saying this for years, everything comes back around. Everything does. So in about 10 years or so, 
the nineties reissues and heritage pieces will be full, full blast. And we'll all be saying, Oh my God. Yeah. Can you, yeah. so, uh, but anyway, the fact that Oris is sort of leading a charge a little bit on that is pretty neat. Um, the actual world time function on it is pretty neat. That's not something I had seen really on, on any other watches that I was familiar with. And, and I'm sure there's something else out there, but um, that's kind of a neat way to, to do that world time. Um, you know, the dimensions are interesting. And I think I actually saw maybe James Stacy maybe posted a wrist shot today. So maybe that was an actual, you know, an actual, you know, sort of in-person shot on it. It looks cool, man. I, I would love to see it. 250 pieces, right? I mean, there's not a lot of them. Yeah, we're, we're probably not going to see it, but, um, and I think it's going to be, I saw the price quoted in, in either in euros or Swiss franc, but it's going to be, I think, um, at least a little bit north of four grand, which for them is, you know, for what it is, it's pretty cool, but it's, uh, that's a little hefty, you know, for, for an Oris. But I think that the, the complication and the way they executed it is fantastic. I love the size on it. You know, this thing is going to be, it's 36 point something. So it's going to wear like 37, but you know, the, the Oris is in the, the late nineties, early two thousands were, as I was saying before we, you know, started recording, they were, they had these real kind of fat sort of, um, you know, marshmallowy, you know, uh, architecture kind of like, uh, the full size Blanc Pond 50 fathoms. It just, you know, slightly overinflated, but when they were 43 and 44 millimeter watches, I didn't care for it, but on a smaller platform, it could be really cool. And this has kind of the rounded, they're not the articulating lugs that they used to have on some of their watches. They, I don't know if you've ever seen this on an Oris watch, but like the lugs themselves were like on a, you know, like a, a on an axis where they would rotate up and down. And this does not have that, which is probably good at 36 millimeters. It doesn't need it anyway. I think what's really cool too, is like the, the numerals around, you know, the, the perimeter. So, you know, the, the, one o'clock, two o'clock, three o'clock. It reminds me of um, the IWC Ingenieur, you know, the, the ones that kind of were were peak, like the AMG, you know, Mercedes inspired watches from again from probably fifteen to twenty years ago, or uh, like the Blanc Pont trilogy watches. It just has that kind of two dimensional effect on like a really flat, smooth surface on the dial. I think it looks really cool. Um, it probably not for me, you know, but I, I would, I wish if it was not limited edition, it probably would be for me. Yeah. Yeah. That's an interesting point. Um, I don't know. It'll be interesting. It, I, I'll, I'll be really curious to see what this does for design cues. Um, you know, welcome to my eBay searches. <laughs> and my yeah, watch right. This is what I look for this is what I, I look for. I mean, my, like my, this is my, this is my zone, you know, late nineties into two thousands. Um, I don't know. It just sparks, uh, sort of a time and place for me. I also just love the design language. I think there's a lot of cool stuff that's sort of, um, you know, not fully appreciated. You know, we talk a lot about, you know, especially when you hear somebody like a vintage watch specialist on a pod, right. You know, you can name any one of them and inevitably, right. The, the pod asks them, what is, what's a piece or what's something that's not appreciated all the way yet. Right. Or where's their value. And mostly people are thinking about what's some sort of obscure seventies, sixties piece that hasn't really popped yet. Right. What's the next pole router what's the next you know whatever xyz and in my opinion all of that in at least for what i love is focused in this time area which is what the oris is sort of 
recapturing. Um, and there's a there's a ton of interesting stuff out there that people probably aren't really thinking about because they either think it's not vintage enough to be super cool, or or maybe they just think the design is you know it, it, sort of the design language is not you know um, is not vintage enough where it still sort of maybe seems passe. But this is my this is my zone, man. This is where I'd like to live. Yeah, I think there's a lot there. I mean, we asked, we posed that exact question, and I'm not sure if this is what you were thinking about when you said that, but we asked Cameron Weiss when he was on, you know, a question along those lines. And basically, that was the exact answer he gave, right? Like the, you know, the mid to late 90s, um, you know, maybe the late 90s, early 2000s pieces from Blanc Pond. There was a lot of cool stuff. The Omegas from that era, the Seamasters were great. They were starting to be really good. They'd found their, you know, their, voice. I don't know if that's the right way to put it. You know, their, their design language. Uh, those were really good. I've got, you know, a, a mid nineties tag Hoyer and a lot of those were kind of schlocky, but some of them are pretty good and I've got one of those and it's fantastic. So I agree with you. I think there's a lot IWC that's happy hunting ground IWC from the late nineties. Uh, absolutely. I mean, you know, of the last, you know, three, four, five watches that I picked up, you know, over 50, 70% of them are from sort of this era. So that's sort of, uh, I think there's just a lot there. There's a lot there and, um, good on Oris, you know, to kind of sort of keep carrying that torch. These, uh, these limited edition Holstein pieces are really interesting. Um, Oris continues to really engage the community, you know, the, the collector community, um, and of course they're sort of branching out, you know, wider than that and probably bringing in people, um, you know, that are maybe more casual watch collect, you know, kind of watch enthusiasts, you know, through some of their other stuff now and they're doing a bang up job. They're really doing a good job. And this is another example of that. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think there was a, a DM recently from one of their higher ups indicating that we might see an airstream somewhere on the West coast, you know, maybe no, t- no time frame, just soon. But, you know, soon might be in the next year or two, but that would be cool because I know that they've done that, you know, for our, our buddies east of us. Yeah. And, and if they want to, you know, sort of uh, ask any recommendations or or sort of, uh, you know, help plan out any cocktail menus, we're here. You, our, 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 our DMs are wide open. <laughs> that's our wheel. That's our wheelhouse. Right on, right on. Well, hey, dude, we are uh, we're aiming to kind of keep this just to check in, right? And you just mentioned our recommendations for cocktails and stuff. Maybe not cocktails, but what do you say we uh, skip to the final notes and and take the last sip on this one? Sounds good. So I do have a recommendation. Um, this is just out of nowhere, but this came to me a couple weeks ago when I was perusing. Have you ever heard of a movie? And I'm I'm guessing you haven't. Uh, called Boys, the Boys in Company C. No. Okay. So this is going to be my recommendation, obviously. Okay. So this, this movie dates, it was produced in 1978. So I think it's kind of in the same era as apocalypse. Now Um, it is essentially about, you know, the Americans experience in Vietnam, you know, and it, it's very much the same format, you know, of a full metal jacket. Did you ever see that Stanley Kubrick oh, yeah, classic? Course. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So Full Metal Jacket begins right introducing some characters. They're here stateside. Two They're movies in one. Yeah. It basically, yeah. What is their experience kind of getting into the Marine Corps? And then the second piece is, you know, them maybe a year later in in Vietnam. Well, this was made 
you know, about eight, eight or 10 years prior to full metal jacket, it's not as dark. It doesn't have, you know, the, the intense Kubrick vibe. Um, but it's, it's basically that kind of thing. You know, it introduces these characters going through, you know, boot camp and, and what a big shock that is. And, and, you know, what, how it basically culturally, emotionally, you get the, the, you know, what's the word, the, the rug pulled out from under you as a young person. And then it follows all these guys going together, which is kind of unrealistic, but they all end up going together to Vietnam. And what's cool about this is it stars a lot of uh, character actors that you would definitely recognize. You know, these are people that, um, you know, maybe are not like A-list celebrities, but this was the first time I ever saw R. Lee Ermey. Are you familiar with this guy? Huge character actor. Who is that? So he was, he, he was in the Marine Corps you know, in real life in the sixties, you'd know him for sure. He's, he's the, you know, the big larger than life drill instructor. He is gunnery Sergeant Hartman or staff Sergeant Hartman in a uh, full metal jacket. Okay. I know. I didn't he, realize that was his name. He's playing the same character in the boys of company C. So he is their, their drill instructor in San Diego. And it, you know, again, it's, it's the same kind of edge. It's probably a little bit more, um, it's less over the top and a little more real as a portrayal in boys and company C, but the other actors are, uh, there's Stan Shaw, who's somebody you'd know he's from, uh, if you ever saw fried green tomatoes, he mm-hmm. was in the great Santini, great Santini, by the way, that's another fantastic movie. If you've never seen that, um, I want to say he was also in Harlem nights. He's, he's just, you'll recognize him instantly. If yeah. you see that guy, um, James Whitmore Jr. He was in Black Sheep Squadron. He did a couple, I think, at least one or two episodes as a, you know, like a, a guest appearance on Magnum PI, like one of my favorite shows. He's in it. There's just a lot of people that you'd see. They're all quite a bit younger, and uh, it's it's an interesting story, an interesting take, and it's um, it's basically a lot lighter, even though it's, it's definitely heavy subject. I mean, there's, there's some rough stuff, but it, it, it doesn't feel oppressive to watch it. So that's my recommendation. Boys of company C, you know, we're coming right off of uh, Memorial day. And if, if you want to kind of watch something in that vein, that's my suggestion. Love it. I actually had never come across that one before. Um, not sort of in the, the usual five or 10 recommendations in that genre. So that's a pretty, that's a, that's a cool one. That's a nice one. I think that would sort of uh, not pop up unless somebody asked you to watch it or, or said, Hey, this is a good one. Yeah. It's obscure, but it's cool. I'm going to queue it up for sure. Um, you know, I'm going to, uh, nothing I'm going to suggest is, is sort of groundbreaking actually, especially for someone like you or some of the other folks who are really hot on F1 and have been for a number of years, sort of the, the pre drive to survive crowd, if you will. But um, sort of just in the same vein, I actually was watching some of the qualifiers from this last weekend, which is sort of a, a first for me as well. On the last pod, we said I, I mentioned that was the first time I watched a race live. Uh, but over not too recently or not too not too long ago, I, I watched a couple ones. Rush, which was a recommendation from a friend, of course. Um, you know, that's a pretty well known, you know, not only story, but sort of movie. Um, and I just you know, like you said, it just wasn't something that was in my wheelhouse. So I just sort of missed it. You know, it's a 2013, I think Ron Howard movie. And, you know, there's, there's big people in it, you know, Chris Hemsworth and, uh, Olivia Wilde, um, Nikki Lauda is played by, you know, Daniel Bruhl, who I guess is maybe not somebody who's such as a well-known person, but it's sort of the Nikki Lauda, James Hunt, um, you know, sort of 
uh, story and, 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 and rivalry. Super good. I mean, that was really just a fun watch. I, it was immediately was totally all in on that one. And then, uh, and then I watched the Schumacher documentary on Netflix. Have you seen that one? So I started to watch that. I got about halfway through it and I have to circle back on that and catch it. Um, so I will finish that. No spoilers, but, um, I've seen rush. It's fantastic. I like it a lot. Yeah, really good. Um, I, I just saw the story. I mean, it's a Ron Howard film, so it's obviously it's going to be done in a way that's probably pretty engaging. Um, so if you haven't seen it, uh, check it out. I don't think you have to be an F1 fan. It's just good storytelling, good kind of action. Um, and, and if you are into it, of course, you know, then you know the story, but it's kind of fun to see it, it told. The Schumacher one was interesting. Um, I won't give anything away, but I mean, it's a documentary, so there's not much to give away, I guess. Um, but it was, it was definitely told in a way that was sort of unfamiliar to me. And, uh, as somebody who probably would have identified Schumacher as the first and maybe most identifiable kind of F1 driver, you know, to me, you know, growing up watching maybe like sports center and watching him just, you know, win races like crazy back in the day. Um, it was kind of cool to see, or, you know, this fuller picture of sort of who he was and how his, you know, not only his racing career, but sort of his life progressed. And, and then now to think about the current season and to see Mick sort of in, in, in a driver's seat and see him sort of in this doc, you know, sharing about, you know, what his experiences were growing up. It was, it was cool. I thought it was good. Um, yeah. So those are my recommendations. Probably nothing right new to anybody who's into those things, but uh, to me, they were new and I liked them. Well, yeah, I'd second both of those. So, hey, dude, it's good talking to you. We'll, uh, We'll have to chat again soon as we get closer to putting the beer in the barrel and we'll maybe take some pictures and that'll be our last sip. What do you think? I certainly hope so. All right, brother. Take it easy. Cheers, my friend. We hope you enjoyed the episode. Don't forget to rate us on your podcast platform of choice. It really does help. You can find us on Instagram at Spirit of Time Podcast and contact us at spiritoftimepodcast at gmail.com. As always, please drink responsibly. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time.